I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, I don't that feel nice, man. I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that cream, black man, we the original man. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of Confessions of a Native Son. I'm your host, Mike Stedman, a Marine Corps veteran, entrepreneur, and aspiring author who enjoys thought-provoking and engaging dialogue about race, culture, and business. In this episode, I open up about my first year in the Marine Corps and the challenge I faced as a young black officer. I share details about my performance, living and working in what felt like an all-white world, and the humiliation I felt. This was the hardest episode I've recorded yet. Sharing this aspect of my life brought back a lot of negative memories and feelings that I've tried to push past. My hope is that by opening up and sharing my experience, I'm able to foster an open dialogue about race and culture in the military. As always, thanks for sharing your time with me, and I hope you enjoy the show. You hold your head up and grin. You start a business with him. You make commitments to him. We all can profit and win and reinvest with our friends. And circle back to the hood and teach them youngsters to do it, do it. What's going on, everyone? Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of my show. It is a Tuesday morning, and I'm podcasting from my one-bedroom apartment in Newark, New Jersey, man. Um, like I've said before, this this show really is just a labor of love. I'm very thankful for it as it allows me to art- work on articulating my thoughts and feelings about you know things that are very personal to me uh, that I find important. It's allowing me to grow both personally and uh, professionally. And I just appreciate you all for being a being part of this journey with me and uh, sharing your time with me to, to hear what I have to say on various uh, subjects. You know, what's interesting is, um, you know, uh, last week's episode was me kind of opening up a little bit more. I think even in the, the podcast space and the professional space, you know, people talk about vulnerability but it's one thing to kind of talk about it, but it's another thing to like really get vulnerable and, you know, just basically get naked on the show and let you all see behind the curtain. Because for me, as uh, as an African-American male, Naval Academy graduate who earned his, you know, master's degree from Rutgers and started a business and this and that, you know, by all means, I'm viewed as successful in, in, in some regards, right? And I know in the environment I grew up in, in Texas, it was so hard for um, it was so hard for young men of color to make some of themselves, right? Because the traps were all around, and especially being raised in a, a single parent home and, and this and that. So, you know, I'm very thankful for how far I've come. But uh, I, I there is a lot of self doubt within me, things I, I struggle with, and you know, opening up about them on the show and on social media has been very uh, uplifting and enlightened for me because. You know, part of this is leadership as well, because I know so many other uh, people of color feel a lot of the same things. And so whether people of color or not, just people in general. But I do I I do stand by my belief that um, the aspects of race do add a different component to it, you know, Um, because it's just like I don't know. I just feel like there's so much negativity around you know, race and culture, particularly black culture and this view of like black life and um, black culture, black thought as viewed as inferior 
in American society. And I'm just kind of working through that and really working on articulating these thoughts for you all. But that's how, you know, I feel. And so like thinking about last week's episode where, you know, I kind of opened up about this feeling that I'm flawed has forced me to kind of look back into my own life and determine, you know, where these feelings come from. And uh, I've, I've, I've kind of figured out that it's come from two places. I think one is that view of black inferior, black inferiority that I, th- I feel like is perpetuated in American society. This sense that if you grow up in a single parent home, um, that if you're raised as a young black man, that there's something like inherently flawed about it, right? Um, you know, that like I'm missing something that, that because I wasn't raised with a father, I have to go without. And this, this idea is just perpetrated so much in society that I think we start to like internalize it as people of color. And I know that there's statistics out there and that they say this stuff about like growing up in a two-parent household is more likely to increase your chances of success and blah, blah, blah. But I just know for me, as I start to do a little research on the people writing these articles, I just quite frankly didn't see a lot of people of color being the ones kind of pushing this research and pushing this thought, which makes me question the validity of it. You know, like uh, I understand that there is... um, I understand like the economic implications of like growing up in a two parent household and whatnot. But at the same time, it's just like, uh, I question the, I, I, I really do kind of want to flip these ideas on our head because, you know, I, I think for the longest part, I mean, for the longest time of my life, this idea of what success looked like was like the opposite of black people and black culture. You know, it's like when you're a young man, uh, growing up in the South and somebody comes to you and talks to you about being success right? They don't really look like you, right? They don't talk like you. They look something uh, completely different. And this idea that in order to be successful, we have to like, I don't know, become a superhero or something instead of just kind of looking at ourselves and being like, I already am a superhero. I'm already am a king. Everything is fine with me how I am. Now there's some things I can refine, but it's this idea of basically you're like on the outside looking in, um, And I got to work on like how I'm going to frame that. But that's the feeling I have is that this feeling of like black society, black culture is like on the outside looking into success and an American side. And I think there's a lot of us that are trying to push back against that, how we walk, how we dress, how we talk um, and showing that, hey, like I can have a little bit of a dialect, you know, I can have a beard um, I can have a beard and mohawk fade and like still be successful and still be articulate and still be professional. And that kind of goes against what I think I see in like a lot of corporate America and what's viewed as like professionalism and success. So there's like that component. And then I think the other component of it comes from my time in the military, both at the Naval Academy and then really in the Marine Corps, where a lot of stuff was amplified um, in my life in terms of this sense of like, really being on the outside looking in again, this sense of like really not belonging because, you know, as I look back at my time in the military, uh, I'm going to focus for this episode, right? Just full transparency. It's taken, this is like my third time trying to record this episode because there's just so much to digest when I talk about my military experience. And to be honest, to break it down into like a one hour podcast episode is probably not the best way to go about it. And so, you know, I probably might have to take multiple stabs at getting these thoughts out um, because there's just a lot that goes into this like military experience, right? This is like, I mean, you're talking about like a seven year time frame from the time like I 
wanted to go to the Naval Academy and all the, the battles I had to go to make that happen to actually being at the Naval Academy and then going to the Marine Corps and being in the Marine Corps. And then you have like the training experience, the the basic school, which is the Marines finishing school and the infantry officer course, which was a whole other thing. And then, you know, Afghanistan, then life after Afghanistan and transitioning out. So, man, damn, it's not even seven years. That might be like a 10 or 12 year, you know, period of my life. That's very hard to like get into a a 12, um, you know, I mean, a, a one hour episode. So I'm going to not necessarily struggle my way through it, but I'm going to work on uh, opening up about that experience a little bit more. And I feel like this is uh, a good time to do so for me because there was an article that was uh, put out on the Marine Corps Times page. Now, I think it was written on the Navy Times, but the Marine Corps Times shared it. And the, the title of the article was uh, The Marine Corps Always Faithful to White Men, right? And uh, it's funny because I had a Marine tag me in the post and he said, hey, Mike, I feel like this is a lot of what you used to always talk about. So I go and I, I read the article and it just brought up like a lot of just negative feelings I had towards my time in the military. You know, um, the image is like the image of the article is like a bunch of white generals, not one black person. Right. But uh, it's got a bunch of, you know, Marine Corps generals in a the room. They've all got like their coffee mugs, whatever. And they're talking. And the article then goes into just how, you know, a lot of the challenges black officers, particularly, particularly at the basic school, which is the Marine, Marine Corps finishing school, the challenges that they face in terms of um, performance, right? Like performance wise. And then also how a lot of us don't want to go into combat arms, how uh, the Marine Corps tends to push us into combat arms, how there's not a lot of us in leadership positions within the Corps. And then just the environment and the feeling that the Marine Corps uh, perpetuates on people of color. And I believe the article is written by an Asian American uh, retired colonel. But he uh, I mean, he brought up a lot of stuff that like I was feeling for the longest time, but wasn't necessarily prepared to articulate and didn't always feel comfortable trying to articulate it because full transparency, I was not like the most um, competent Marine Corps officer. So it's like, I couldn't really handle any negative attention, um, more so than what I already had. So like, I wasn't even the one to like kind of prepare to kind of take this stuff on. But when I read the article, man, um, it, it brought back some memories. And one of the things in the article too, it talked about was how like, uh, black Marine officers would uh, get corrected on their speech and their dialect and you know, how we talked and whatever. And uh, it's funny, I wrote a post on my Facebook that said um, when I was at the basic school, that, that finishing school, I was already struggling like performance wise, right? Like I was not the best outdoors. I was struggling with the Marine Corps um, way of leadership, whatever you want to call it, right? Like I was, I was not the most competent Marine. Like I was struggling and I was getting evaluated in the midst of all this struggling. And, uh, you know, I was at a, doing the sand table exercise, which is basically like, you know, we've got this sand and we've got these figures placed on it. Basically, it's a, a way we go about discussing strategy and tactics. And uh, one of the, the captains was a white captain. He asked us to volunteer um, to brief what was the enemy situation, right? So they set the field up and then they asked us, like, look at the, the, the sand table from the perspective of the enemy, where their troops were and whatnot, and then kind of brief uh, our platoon on what we thought the enemy would do. So I, you know, I raised my hand, right? Cause I was still a hard charger, right? I was a naive hard charger, but I was still pushing. I remember raising my hand and volunteering to speak. And, uh, you know, I briefed that the enemy was gonna, I felt that the enemy was gonna try to use hit and run tactics on our unit. 
And uh, the captain stopped me and said uh, the enemy wasn't going to be doing a drive-by. And uh, he told me not to use slang when I spoke and told me that uh, this wasn't the ghetto. And he did this in front of everybody, in front of all my peers. Um, at a time where I was, like I said, I wasn't really like the most confident in general. And, uh, you know, I wrote on, my, on the Facebook post that I felt like he castrated me in front of everybody. And I remember, man, like I, there's a lot of these memories that we have in our life that like we don't necessarily talk about all the time, but we bury in the back of our heads and just kind of move past it. But I remember um, leaving that experience uh, and going back to my room and just having the biggest fucking like not tension tantrum, but man, I was so angry. And I remember the other officers having to come in and calm me down, telling me like I was overreacting. But it was like I was already, you know, a black officer um, in an environment where there wasn't too many of us. I mean, like in my platoon, I want to say there was like two uh, me and Mike Lloyd uh, from Dope Coffee, matter of fact. And uh, I just remember being so fucking embarrassed and angry because I think for us as people of color, it's like, you know, you go to the Naval Academy, man, I got my undergrad in history, right? By all means, I was already like a successful African-American male. And in that moment, in that time, because he, um, he could, I felt like he brought me down uh, a notch, you know, not that I was like arrogant or overconfident, but this, this idea of like, yo, I just spent four years at one of the best institutions in the country. And then you tell me that like I'm using slang and that I'm not in the ghetto anymore. And that, um, you know, the enemy wasn't doing a drive-by, man. It was so disheartening. And I think part of the thing too comes from power because he was a captain and at TBS in an environment where like I wasn't, I, I mean, I was already struggling moving around in that I felt so, so powerless and I felt so helpless. And the only thing I could do was kind of get upset because I had, you know, volunteered for this environment and situation. And uh, it's funny how even after all these years, that happened in what, 2010, the summer of 2010, I still remember it. And all it took was for one, somebody to tag me in a random Facebook article that brings up, that brings back all these uh, negative memories. And so I figured I would go ahead and start opening up about my Marine Corps experience on the show and kind of dive into it. And I've kind of been a, not necessarily avoiding it, but I've been hesitant to um, talk about it per se, because to be quite frank, I'm embarrassed by a lot of it. Um, but I, you know, talking to Mike, man, I talked to Mike this weekend for about two hours about it. And, uh, you know, part of this show is about personal and professional growth for, for me and for you out there that listening to me. And so, you know, um, I can't really grow if I'm still holding on to stuff and I'm still like hiding stuff. Um, and so I'm just going to have to start putting some of this stuff out more in the open um, and allow it to uh, just allow you all to see a little bit more behind the veil and behind the curtain. So um, I'll go ahead and uh, jump into my confession for the week is that my confession is I don't feel I was a good Marine officer. And the reason I don't feel that is because, you know, from the time I entered the Marine Corps and until the time I left, I was always ranked um, below average um, relative to my peers. Right now, I was in an environment where there wasn't too many of us because once I decided to go to the Marine Corps, um, you know, just not a lot of black officers in general. And once you start going to the infantry, not a lot of black officers. So I was in this environment where like the leadership didn't look like me. Um, you know, not a lot of peers. I felt like I could relate to, um, I was struggling on so many levels in terms of just being a Marine and being a competent Marine. Um, 
that, you know, I was never really, I, I just never really thrived. You know what I mean? Like I was, I've talked before on the show about like the big leap and how there's these four different zones, zones of incompetence, competence, excellence, and genius. And for me, I feel like the Marine Corps, as I kind of look back and reflect on my time, uh, it fell into this zone of probably in between incompetence and competence. At least this is what I thought, right? Because I think it's one thing for us as people um, to kind of have this sense of like imposter syndrome and not really feeling like, um, you know, we're, I don't know, feeling like we're a fraud. But it's another thing to kind of have those feelings and then have that shit documented on paper and then have other people kind of reinforce that as well. And so, you know, I struggled in the Marine Corps a lot and I had a really, really turbulent experience um, during my time in the Corps. Um, so much so that like it's forced me to kind of adopt a little bit of a Ronin mindset. Um, like on the back, I've talked before, but like on the on my back piece, I have a back tattoo and it's a picture of a Roman samurai, which is just like a samurai without a master because you know, the Marine Corps, I really do have a love-hate relationship with it. You know, I love it for all of the um, leadership opportunities it gave me, putting me in the hot seat, putting me in positions that grew me mentally, physically, and spiritually, but also hate the Marine Corps because the Marine Corps almost broke me um, mentally, physically, and spiritually. All the all the things that built it built up within me are almost all the things that it, it broke me for. Um, you know, I had low rankings, right? My entire time in the Marine Corps. Um, you know, I had turbulent training experiences. Um, my command, when I first checked into my first unit, they did some grimy, doggy uh, move to me um, that I, I had to overcome. And then it accumulated with me actually um, getting relieved in combat in Afghanistan, right? So that was like my first just two years in the Marine Corps. Um, and the crazy part was like, even in that buildup, man, I had like three years left after all that just craziness. And, um, it, I'm thankful though, because, you know, at the end of the day, I did grow and learn a lot from those experiences. And I'll, I'll talk about them in future episodes. I don't think I'll be able to, you know, cover Afghanistan and everything right now, but, um, it, it, it really took a big blow on my confidence, on my being, you know? And I think that's why, like when I talked about last week's episode about being flawed is because um, going back to what I said, like this feeling of imposter syndrome, but also having a paper trail confirming that um, you're an imposter, you don't belong here. And then in addition to that, it's a sense of just like all the things that make you you, all the things that make you special, you know, all the things that I get recognized for in the civilian world, you know, with Ironbound and the stuff I'm doing. Like, but when I was in the Marine Corps, um, all those things were not necessarily recognized, right? And I was felt made to feel that I was like a below average performer, that I wasn't necessarily a leader. And uh, that that really weighs heavily on you. And uh, it almost took my confidence away from me. Um, and I've had to deal with that alone for the longest, the longest time. Because, you know, when you go to an environment like the Naval Academy, where everyone is a... Uh, the expectation is just set so high on you, right? Like you've got to go get a congressional nomination. It's supposed to be the best America has to offer. And then you're in this officer environment where a lot of people wanted to go to the academy and they didn't get in and they're comparing themselves to you. And then you fail, you know, you feel like not only are you making your institution look bad, but you're also um, 
you're confirming their feelings about you, right? And then, it, you know, for minorities too, I think there's a sense of like, when we're in these environments where there's not a lot of us, right? People tend to look at you and say, the only reason you're here is because you're black or they assume you're less qualified and they um, assume all this stuff about you. And so, you know, when I think about my time in the Marine Corps, I just felt all this pressure on me to just perform, not just perform for the sake of being a Marine officer, but to perform for as a as a black officer, as a minority officer, you know, I, I it's I equate it to the feeling of like, you know, be, like being like the black Mar being like the Marine Martin Luther King that you're carrying the weight of this whole race on you, and that if you fail, you know, they're gonna associate your failures um, or in those that come after you with the mistakes and stuff you made, and that's a lot for anybody to carry. But um, when I think about that, on top of like all the stress of just being a Marine in general. Um, it was just, a, it was a lot, it was a lot on me mentally and physically. And, uh, you know, just thinking about those times, man, it wasn't exactly like some of the happiest times in my life. And it comes to the point now to where, like, if I was a recommend, if there was a, a young, hard charging, very talented, like African-American male or female coming out of college, um, would I recommend them go to the Marine Corps? as an officer or an enlisted, whatever. Um, and honestly, the answer to me would probably be more often than not, no, because I've just seen that environment just rip so many of us up. Um, talented performers, you know, talented African-Americans. And like, I would just pray that many of them are able to bounce back like I did and regain their confidence. But a lot of them may not have been able to you know, and I get the sense of just talking to, you know, other officers and asking them about their peers when they got out. And there's this sense of, you know, a lot of people, uh, you know, a lot of black officers will get out and they come out of these environments and they just have this resentment to it. And it's just like they move on with their life and they don't really want to be associated with it, you know, and I could be making a generalized statement. But again, this is just coming from my experience and the and the people I've I've talked to about it. So that's a little bit of a longer intro. But I, get, I figured I had to go ahead and kind of set the stage for some of the stuff we're going to talk about on today's show. So before I jump into uh, the, the dive deeper into the theme, I want to go ahead and give a shout out to our sponsors. First, I want to give a shout out to Dope Coffee, a lifestyle brand that pairs urban black culture with innovative product offerings in the coffee industry. We're not a coffee brand for black people. We're a coffee brand that seeks to elevate black culture through a lifestyle of premium coffee and candid conversation. Next, we got to give a shout out to my brand, the one and only Ironbound Boxing, a fitness brand that utilizes the wellness benefits of boxing to transform communities, individuals, and corporate teams, helping them realize their fullest potential. Proceeds from our services fund free amateur boxing programs for inner city youth and young adults. Boom. Shout out to two badass brands out there, Dope Coffee, Ironbound Boxing, both run, might I add, by two African-American Marines, uh, myself and Mike Lloyd. So super proud of what we're doing. And then just giving another shout out to Dope Coffee, man. I'm really thankful to be a part of Dope Coffee team because this brand is built in order to allow us to feel comfortable to have these, these kind of conversations, the kind of conversations I'm having with you right now. Um, and that's what we want. So um, yeah, man. Uh, and I, I've always talked about our super fans. Super fan for this show is probably rocking an Ironbound boxing hoodie, sipping a cup of dope coffee out of a dope coffee mug and uh, listening to this show and uh, just, just loving the content. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive deeper into the theme, which is always faithful. And uh, the Marine Corps motto is Semper Fidelis, which means always faithful. Just this idea of you can always 
count on a Marine, you know? We don't leave anyone behind. We're, we, we're strong, we're tough, you know? And uh, it's just part of our, like, part of our culture. And uh, picking up where I left off, you know, it's funny. When I was, from when I decided I wanted to join the Marine Corps, and I want to say it was probably right when I got to the Naval Academy. You know, I think I wanted to be a Navy SEAL at one point, but then I realized, like, I sucked at swimming and this idea of being cold and wet, I didn't like it very much. Um, but something about the Marine Corps, the grit, the toughness, right? Like, all the things that, I don't know, I felt like a boxer had, right? There was just something about the Marine Corps. There was just something, this strength that I saw in like Marine officers that um, in the Marine Corps messaging and how they promoted and how people talked about it. It's like, you know, I've talked before about one of the reasons I like boxing is because the first time I sparred, I realized that like, this is a world where people like own it. They control it. They live and breathe in this world. Like I want what they have. It's the same feeling I felt like about the Marine Corps, you know, these confidence, this, this, this command presence where you can just walk in a room and own the room. And at the Naval Academy, you know, a lot of the most vocal leaders and the toughest looking leaders, I felt like were Marines. They just had this like toughness from them. And uh, I, I wanted that. And so that led me down a path towards, you know, going to Marine Corps. What was interesting too is that as I talked to more, you know, black officers, um, a lot of them were like, why do you want to go to Marine Corps? Right. There was this myth. I don't want to call it a myth. Right. Cause I'll be, I'll be lying to you if I didn't tell it. There was this, um, whispers that the Marine Corps was a racist institution that a lot of black officers didn't do well in the Marine Corps. Um, and kind of, you look at the history of like black officers coming out of the Naval Academy. Um, a lot of them struggled and, and whatnot. At least this was a perception I was told before I went in the Marine Corps. But for me, I was like, yo, that's not going to happen to me. You know what I mean? Like I was a three-time national boxing champion. Um, I really wanted to be a Marine. You know, I had some mentors in my life, not necessarily mentors, not, not mentors in a traditional sense, but people I looked up to because just to be quite frank, as an African-American male that grew up without his father, if I come across a male figure, um, any kind of positive male figure, it's weird. It's like you have this this connection with them. I don't know. It's this sense of like, um, I don't know. You're very just impressionable, right? Even still, I think even still now, but it's more so when I was younger. And, uh, you know, one of my cadre, when I first went to the Naval Academy prep school, cause I didn't have the grades to go straight into the Academy. Um, they sent me to a prep school for a year. It was a guy named Brandon Barrett. And, uh, I mean, he was my leader for like three weeks, but he was like the first one, uh, he was, a, he was our company commander for my company at Nate at NAPS. But uh, man, I, he just had the biggest impression on me. And, and I just remember him um, saying he was going to be, uh, he wanted to go Marine Corps, be infantry officer. And that just was like, boom, planted the seed right there. And that just kind of carried over. But, um, you know, when I was at the academy, right, like I, military wise, all this stuff, I don't know, man, I just think military culture, at least for me, was just so outside of the norm of like everyday life, which I'm sure it is for like most people. Um, but I think even at Navy, like when it came to a lot of the military stuff, like, um, I just was not the best at it. And maybe that was a sign right there. Like, Hey, maybe the Marine Corps isn't the best for you because, you know, at the Naval Academy, we had this sense of like Joe's It's called Joe, right? The guy that like follows all the rules, wears his uniform, perfect, everything, right? Like he's just very, not square, but like just very like follows the rules deliberately. You know what I mean? And we had this, what I found out was about the Marine Corps and the Marine Corps, there is no Joes. It's like, you're a Marine officer. Like you go to Marine Corps, you better prepare to follow the rules and hold other people accountable for them. So it's a little bit of a, a 
like a serious environment. But, um, you know, I wasn't a Joe at the Naval Academy. You know what I mean? Like I had fun. I did my best, right? Um, never lied, never cheated, never steal. But performance-wise, military-wise, like I don't know if I necessarily exuded like the most confidence from people. I think it was reflected in like a lot of my peer reviews from like fellow company mates and whatnot, and even just ranking in the company. Because even at the Navy, you know, based on your class standing, based on your military, it's like once you're in the military, you're always ranked. Boom, they just ranking you against each other. And so for me, a Navy, again, I wasn't ranked the most. But that didn't stop me from going Marine Corps. And I had this belief that like, you know, people were like, why do you want to go Marine Corps, let alone go infantry? And I naively wanted to be at the point of friction, right? Like I wanted to be tested as a, as a leader. And I felt like from everything I read, from everything I told, the infantry was the best place to do that, right? There was just something about commanding troops on the ground, kicking ass and taking names, right? That was like the ultimate test of like, leadership and grit and i kind of feel like it was a place that we kind of went to the naval academy before to be tested like this i didn't want to be um you know just some like snoozy officer right like i wanted to get down there i wanted to lead i wanted to lead men men and women but i knew the infantry was the place that like you would really really like test yourself and so i ended up graduating the naval academy end up getting an opportunity to go to marine corps and went up to the basic school and uh, the basic school is, is, is the, like I mentioned before, it's the finishing school. It's about six months long. And there is where they teach everyone to be a provisional rifle platoon commander. This idea of like everybody that goes to the basic school, everyone's going to know how to command troops in the field. That way, regardless of what your job or your MOS is, everyone is, you're going to, regardless of what your job or MOS is, you're going to know what the troops on the ground are thinking and how they operate, right? And how to integrate whatever role you do outside of, of the infantry is able to complement and support them because the Marine Corps likes to say everyone is a rifleman and everything is built to serve like the infantry at some level. So you go to the basic school and you get put in these platoons and um, you get put in these platoons and then you go through this six months rigorous training culminating with you getting your MOS selection um, for, and they break the class up. And he talks about this in an article that I mentioned before. It was like where they break up the class into thirds uh, and based off of where you sit, right? They, they don't want like all the best officers going one direction. So like infantry is usually the most sought after, but they don't want only, only the top performers in infantry because you don't want bottom performers in like uh, supply and some of these others. So they have this like quality spread where they try to make sure that um, the Marine Corps has the best officers serving in, in different capacities. And so hopefully I didn't butcher that too much, but they have this process. Okay. So go to the Marine Corps, go to the basic school. And that was really when it hit me. See, at first I thought that like leadership was really just like this willpower thing. Like as long as you wanted to lead, um, you could, you could do it. Right. And I thought that if like I was boxer, so I was tough. I knew I was tough. I knew I had grit. Um, and pers persistence. And so, you know, I thought that would be enough to kind of get me, you know, to the Marine Corps and, and being enough to let me succeed. Um, and one of the things I did too was um, we graduated the Naval Academy on like May, I forgot the date. I want to say it was like May 28th. Maybe it was sooner. I don't remember. Um, I, I think it was like the 28th, whatever. But uh, for me, I went to the Marine Corps like two weeks after graduation. And I, <laughs> It's hindsight 2020. That might've been a mistake, but I can't necessarily say it was a mistake because 
it kind of played out in my head. See, I had this vision that I was going to go to the Marine Corps. I was going to go to the Marine Corps. I would go to TBS. I would complete TBS in six months, right? And then uh, I would go to the infantry officers course in the winter of 2011 and then do that for three months. And then bam, I would be training with a unit in May and be in Afghanistan six, seven months later, right? That was like my vision. Um, and again, like it played out just like that. Um, but, uh, it played out exactly as I wanted. And I'm kind of thinking back now, just talking to y'all about it. Like, I do think there was a little bit of arrogance there. Like, even when I think about IOC in the winter, what the hell was I thinking? You know, uh, on the other side of this, you probably don't know about the infantry officer course unless you're, you know, military. But I remember when I was at the Naval Academy, I kept talking to seniors, about the infantry officer course. And everyone kept saying, oh, the men are made at the winter. The winter class is like the, the, the toughest, whatever. So in my mind, I was like, I want to go to the winter class. Um, and I just, again, I look back on it, it was stupid of me, right? But um, that's what I wanted to do. And so my Marine Corps, my early on Marine Corps career played that out. So I go to the basic school and uh, that's when something hit me though, that beyond just being tough, gritty and resilient, there was a competency associated with being Marine that I didn't have, right? And full on at the basic school was when it just smacked me right in the fucking face, right? I grew up in a household in Texas, raised by all women, okay? Now, granted, I had opportunity to go to the Naval Academy and do some stuff at the Naval Academy, but I didn't really grow up in this environment where I was spending a lot of time outdoors, like hunting, fishing, camping, none of that stuff, right? Um, shooting guns, none of that. Okay. Go to the Naval Academy. And I think there's this perception that, you know, when we go there, that that's what we do. Right. But the Naval Academy, you just kind of dip in it. Right. We probably shot guns one day in four years at the Naval Academy. Um, and I, you know, there's opportunities there to kind of go further with like the Marine Corps, but like, again, naive, I just didn't, I didn't know or whatever, but I'm at the basic school, man. And I realized like, Hey, I don't really know how to fucking camp. Really? You know, the, the, why is this outdoors thing kind of so hard to me? Shooting, why is it, this stuff is like not as easy, like even just loading the ammo, um, loading ammo in a magazine and all this little stuff, right? Like it was a, a challenge for me. It wasn't coming easy. And that's when I started to um, realize that like I was in a, a place where like I wasn't the most competent. Um, and it was embarrassing, right? Because because I chose to go to the basic school two weeks right after graduation, I was in an environment where um, there I didn't have a lot of peers from the academy looking out for me. You know what I mean? I was in this environment around a bunch of officers um, that had commissioned from other schools across the country, many of whom probably wanted to go to Naval Academy, but weren't able to get in. Um, and there was this like, almost like an em embarrassment slash resentment if you went to commissioning through the academy. You know, there was, I feel like there was always this little like uh, competition because people are looking at, you know, when you go to a place like the academy, everybody's telling you that you're the best American has to offer. So offer. There's a long history of officers coming out of these places and succeeding. So I feel like when you go to um, an environment like the basic school where they're bringing the academy guys and the ROTC guys all in one place, you know, there's this like chip on the shoulder, chip on the shoulder, the academy guys trying to um, hold their own. And then there's the chip on the shoulder of the ROTC and the PLC, which, you know, just straight commissioning of looking at us and being like, I gotta, are they as good as they say or whatever? Right. Like it's this whole like situation. And so one of the reasons I went to 
two weeks after graduation is because one, I was already not the most, like, I don't know, like I, I just wasn't ranked the highest amongst my peers at the academy and I wanted a fresh start, right? I wanted to go in an environment where I could just kind of be judged on my own merits and not have this legacy thing, you know, carry over from my time at the academy. And then I go into the Marine Corps um, and I'm in this environment where, again, I don't have those those peers. I separated myself and I start to run up against uh, new challenges, right? So like at the Naval Camp, it was like, the academics, the military life and whatever. And now TBS, it was academics, the military life, but just same, same stuff, just with the Marine Corps emphasis, right? Instead of studying for like, you know, um, calculus and all this other stuff, like now we're studying like weaponeering and all this, whatever. So I'm like freaking, I'm like fucking struggling, right? I got peer evals going, um, hammering me, you know, saying I'm not good at this. I'm not good at that. I've got, uh, <laughs> I've got like legit, like hard tests, like land navigation, night navigation, uh, you know, leading orders, uh, man, it was just, it was just a, it was a freaking challenge, man. It was a challenge. And the, the hard part is when you, when you're struggling, man, and you, you fail at something you're doing it in such a visible way, you know, and these peers you're going to school with at the basic school, these aren't like people you're never going to see again. I mean, you might, but like the Marine Corps, they keep telling you your reputation, your basic school reputation will carry you the rest of your life, right? People are always going to remember you from this time because now these are the the fleet's officers. And so that's a lot to weigh on you, especially when you're you're sucky at it, you know, you're shitty at it. Um, and again, my TBS freaking experience might be worth a whole nother uh, episode but either way, I grinded it out, man. I fucking grinded it out. This shit was hard. Um, a lot of self-doubt, but I, I persevered and I made it. And I got my first choice, which was infantry, right? And it was funny because they were like, even while at the basic school, they made us put our top three preferences. You know, I think there's like 23 different MOSs, everything from like communication, uh, supply and logistics, like uh, all this stuff. But I wanted infantry. And I remember the first time I did, I was like, infantry, infantry, infantry. They're like, you can't do that. All right. But even at the basic school, man, there was like seven or eight black officers in my company. Maybe I'm no, I don't know the numbers exactly. Maybe we were like 150 plus officers total and seven, eight black officers in the company. Um, but I just remember um, you know a lot of the older, older officers, like prior enlisted black guys, black and black males, black females, you know, um, but there was a stint like, why would you go infantry? You know, everyone was like thinking about careers like that they could capitalize on outside of the military. And it's funny, the maid, the uh, colonel who wrote the article, he talks about that, about how a lot of minorities, you know, we're going to the military and we'll be thinking, okay, hey, I want to go in, I want to get this skill and then I want to be able to leverage this skill post-military, right? Something I can learn and, and take with me. And there's a stigma that like the infantry, like where, how can you monetize that? You know what I mean? Like you're not really, you don't have a skill set. Now you get some leadership, but it's like, it's not really going to help you in the, in the post-civilian world. And unfortunately you do see that with a lot of enlisted infantrymen. Um, you know, they get out and they become nothing wrong with being a police officer or anything like that. But you do see them tend to struggle in terms of matching those skills outside and officers are a little bit different. You know, we can flex and finesse the, 
the uh, the leadership stuff we're doing and just top performers tend to like to go infantry and then they get out and they kick ass and take names. That's what, you know, you're in the seat. But for minority officers, I don't know. I just feel like there's just, it's just different. So anyway, um, I just remember having these conversations and then you would have prior enlisted black infantrymen, you know, say like, why the hell are you trying to go infantry, bro? I'm not going infantry. People were like, they're going supply, they're chilling. And I always thought in my na- naivety that, uh, there was something wrong with this. Like, why did you join the military? You're supposed to join the military because you want to fight for your country and you're supposed to go to war, you know? And like the infantry is like the front lines, right? That's where they need us, you know? I'm saying God, country, and core. This is what we were taught, right? This is what was bled into us at like the Naval Academy. And so I always thought there was something wrong with this mentality, this idea of like going to the military and thinking you want something out of it. I thought this was like a selfless sacrifice that you're supposed to go to the military and then you're supposed to give, you know, give it your all, right? Like this service to country and not just like what you can get out of it. Um, and so uh, this kind of put me at a different, um, uh, it's put me at a different lens in terms of like military life. And so I thought that in order to uh, serve, you know, I needed to go into infantry, right? So end up graduating TBS, like bottom of my class, right? There it is, no chop it up, blow average, and end up going to IOC. And I'm going to IOC in the winter of uh, 2011. And let me tell you, it was one of the most fucking miserable experiences of my life, right? Now, I will tell you, a lot of the mental toughness, mental and physical toughness I have now is because of that experience, one of many experiences. But that was one of the hardest things of my life. Like I I drive through Quantico now. I can't even drive down the highway near that base without getting chills and bringing back a bunch of ne- negative memories, which is why I think I need to, uh, I probably got to work through this stuff. But, you know, the infantry officer course was in the winter. I started January, we went from January to March, right? And the shit was fucking miserable. Let me tell you why. Um, I've already told you that like, you know, I struggled like with the military stuff at TBS, you know, the land nav, sleeping in the field, all that kind of stuff while getting evaluated nonetheless. So like I was learning how to shoot. I was learning how to clamp and sleep outside. I was learning how to be a Marine all at the same time while getting evaluated on it. Right. And one thing I know about me now, hindsight 2020 is I learn. I have to learn by doing, right? Like that's the best way for me to learn, right? But I I require a bunch of different ways to learn. I need audio, right? I use audio books a lot. You know, I need to read. I need to spend time in whatever I'm learning. And then I, give, I eventually catch on to it and I learn. But when I was going through TBS, I didn't know how I, I learned yet, right? Like I was still coming out of the, just like, okay, the, the stuff I did at the Naval Academy and the stuff that got me to the Marine Corps, right? I didn't necessarily know that like this wasn't going to get me to the next level. Um, so I was fucking was struggling, you know? And I remember just to put it in perspective, the first night we're at IOC, it was the first time we like slept out in the field at IOC, it poured on a snow and wise, right? And I had never slept outside in the snow in my life. I think in Texas, I had probably seen snow like once, you know? And then, even though it snowed in Annapolis, like I wasn't camping out in it, right? And I just remember the, the first time we, we, we had a, training exercise riding in the snow. Um, we get done with our training for that day and I hop in my sleeping bag, whatever. And I just jump right in and I didn't cover any of my stuff up. I didn't cover my boots. I didn't cover anything. Um, I didn't know any better. And I remember the fire watch kicking my sleeping, kicking my um, sleeping bag and was like, dude, he's like, get your fucking shit and cover up your shit. You know? And I just remember being like, wait, what? 
And so like, that's how I learned, you know, I covered up my stuff because the snow and stuff was getting in my boots and whatnot. But, um, that kind of lets out, that kind of gives you insight of like what IOC was like. Picture one of the most competitive environments you've ever been in, um, with top performers, right? Like a lot of the people that end up going infantry. I mean, these were like a lot of the, I don't know, man. I just feel like the Marine Corps, the best of the Marine Corps, the true believers, I just feel like a lot of them are going to try to go infantry. You know what I mean? So they're just top performers, right? And I, even for me, right? Like I, I consider myself a top performer, even though I wasn't on paper, but I always believed I was. And that's where I wanted to be. I wanted to be around the best. And it's a weird feeling when you're there and you're just like, you can't really fucking hang. You know what I mean? Um, or at least you think you can't hang. And as I think about that time too, what's interesting is uh, I was in an environment, there was 115 of us started at IOC. There was three black officers, right? So again, it was, and I can tell you their names, um, but I'm in this environment again, where it's predominantly white men. Um, we're in this freaking just hard ass school, you know, where like, it's, I mean, there, there's rumor, I don't know rumors, but you know, people say it's one of the hardest schools in the Marine Corps, in the military, just because how subjective they are with leadership and how I really test you because you're outside, like you're in the woods, you're in the, in the hustle and the grind pretty much the entire school time. Like you go in the field, out the field, in the field, out the field. But I feel like you're in the field more often than not. And some of the games and not games, but the way they, they pushed you and test you really take you to your limit. Right. And you know, this is all amongst your peers, you know? So everything is like pretty transparent. Everyone's watching. There's nowhere to hide. You know what I mean? Like if you suck, you suck. <laughs> There's nowhere you can't, you, you can't cower from it. Um, and, you know, a lot of people don't make it, you know, lieutenants just drop, you know what I mean? Like they drop for everything, make a bad leadership position, boom, gone. You know what I mean? You're on a hike, somebody falls out, boom, gone, right? There's all these little, little things that they do to uh, weed out officers that they feel are like unfitting. All right. So I'm there in this environment, man, fucking winter, 2011, struggling, struggle bus, team struggle bus, right? Um, <laughs> uh, just so much stuff, man. I just, I got, I got to get these thoughts down on paper. That's why I was saying it's like probably needs to be, um, probably needs to be a, like another episode, but you know, it was just, it was a weird time in my life because I just felt like, man, like it feels like almost like no one loves you in the world. You know, it's like the loneliest, most isolated time, you know, of my life, because as you're struggling and you're trying to figure out you know how to perform in this really hostile environment you know you feel like you don't have anybody you can you can really lean on you know there's nobody that really looks like you because of the rank um because of the rank and everything you know with like officers with junior officers and senior officers you know you can confide in a senior officer but you can't really like get too close and comfortable so you just kind of have to persevere and uh and figure it out and it was interesting because there was a, a black officer there within the, um, even though there was only three of us going through the course, there was a black officer on staff there. But even with that, like, it's this sense of like, man, um, how do I describe it? It's like, uh, they, they expect so much of you, you know what I mean? Like, cause now you're going to make them look bad. Right. So it ain't like it's going to be friendly, friendly or buddy, buddy, you know, even though like, 
you, it's the feeling of like they probably do more harm than good if they like mentor you or anything. So they've got to keep you at arm distance and be sometimes harder on you. You know what I mean? To make you tougher because they know what you're up against. And like, I don't know if this was his person I or not, but even though there was like this black officer on staff, I couldn't necessarily like confide in him because I feel like I just fucking stood out like a sore thumb. So anything I did, he would see, you know, and he would call me out on it. Like, it was like, man, I don't know. You, you just fucking stand out. Like being at IOC, man, it was like, and not just being at IOC, but being in the Marine Corps in general, being an infantry officer in general, a lot of times it felt like, uh, being a black guy in an entirely like white room, um, more often than not, you know? Um, and if you've never experienced that feeling, I've always found it interesting how, you know, we talk about like race, culture, and diversity, and people say it doesn't matter in performance. I'm like, okay, have you ever walked into a room, uh, where you're, where you're the only white person? It's like a hundred black people. How do you move in that room? How do you talk? How do you feel really comfortable? Like, are you really the most confident? You know what I mean? Like if you were to walk into a job and you see like the, um, you see uh, the business, the leaders of the organization, right? Like um, all the history of the organization, you look at its founding, you don't see anyone that looks like you. And when they do look like you, they were in like a, a subservient role, right? So you got like all these um, managers, all, you know, black managers and all the employees are all white. Like their number twos are all white. How would that kind of what would you think about that institution? What would you think about that organization? And from the time I went to the Naval Academy until I left the Marine Corps, I felt like that's what it was a lot like for me. You know what I mean? Um, but the thing about IOC that was so unique about it was like IOC, I felt like we were fucking off the grid. You know what I mean? Like it's just, you're at this schoolhouse, right? And you don't really see any of the outside world. You know, it's just you and your peers going through this course. And so that was very you know, challenging time of my life. And then as people start to drop, people start to drop left and right. People start to look at you and they're like, yo, this guy shouldn't be here. You know, why did this guy's getting dropped? Why don't they drop, you know, Stedman or whatever, you know? Um, and when you do make it to the end, you've got all these eyes on you about like whether you belong or not. Like, are you part of their tribe? You know what I mean? Like you don't deserve to be here. Now you've given it your all. You've done your best. You know what I mean? Like you've sacrificed just like everyone else. But again, it's like, even though you go through this entire process, it's like, do people really still accept you as, as one of them? Um, and again, this is me being self-aware. Like, this is what I've, I feel on the inside. I mean, maybe it's wrong, but again, it's like, I was already, you know, just again, it's kind of talking about that, like confidence, you know, going back to what I was talking about earlier of, okay, you know, go out to Naval Academy, get ranked low, below average, go to TBS, get ranked low, below average. You know what I mean? Go to IOC, which is like the pinnacle of like the Marine Corps officer experience, get ranked, um, get ranked below average, right? So it's not like you've exactly earned the trust and confidence of your peers along the way. It's not like you've uh, earned the trust and confidence of the, the core along the way. Um, and it's just, it's, it's, it fucks with you. And so then, um, you know, I, and I'm, I'm going through a lot of stuff here right here. So I'm about to have to come back and revisit this stuff. But so that's like the IOC, you know, and then I get to the Marine Corps. Um, and I check into my unit. I got assigned uh, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines. And it's funny because at IOC, one of the things we do is at graduation, the IOC graduation, uh, there's no, like, it's like a breakfast, right? There's nothing crazy. There's no, uh, like, everyone gives us a, uh, a quote. We do quotes, right? You walk up, they call your name, you give a quote, you get your certificate, you keep it moving. And I just remember still to this day, my quote was, uh, somebody said it couldn't be done. Um, by Albert Albert Guest. And I just opened up 
with the first line. Somebody said it couldn't be done, but he with the chuck replied that maybe it couldn't, but he would be one who wouldn't say so till he tried. So he buckled right in with a bit of a grin on his face. If he worried, he hit it. He started to sing as he tackled the thing that couldn't be done and he did it. That's a poem I said. And I walked up and I grabbed my certificate. Um, and after that, man, it was crazy. I ended up going to um, Hawaii because um, we had this little break. Like I graduated IOC in uh, January, February, March. End of March, boom, had a little like 30-day break and then was able to check into my unit first and eighth marine. So I ended up going to Hawaii. Um, I went up going to Hawaii in 2011, right after IOC. And uh, just hang out with one of my teammates, man, Navy boxing teammate, a guy named Anton Aku. Because I was just like, man, I've been in the winter. I fucking lost feeling in my feet. Been sleeping in the snow. I need to go to Hawaii. I need to go to the beach. I need to relax. So that's what I did. And uh, this is important later because um, while I was in Hawaii, I was on a beach. Okay. And there was this little kid playing um, football with what looked like his granddad, right? So they're tossing the ball back and forth. And then somehow the football comes over to me. Um, the football comes near me and I pick it up and then I toss it to the little boy. So me and him start playing catch. And then I see his, who I thought was his granddad walk up because he's a little bit older. Um, and I introduce myself. Um, it turns out the granddad was uh, a lieutenant colonel who was going to take over the unit I was assigned, 1st Battalion, 8th Marines, Okay. So uh, I ended up meeting him on a random beach in Hawaii, met him and his wife and his, and his son. And uh, he was his granddad, it was actually his son. But I told him, yeah, I was a lieutenant, just graduated infantry officer course, was on you know, some vacation time before I was checking in my unit 1-8. And he told me, he's like, uh, I will see you, you know, when I check in, you know, looking forward to seeing you in a few months, whatever. So you know, random guy on the beach, turns out to be my battalion commander. So anyways, I get back from... Uh, Infantry officer course. I mean, I get back from Hawaii. I go check in the 1-8 with all the, the lieutenants, right? It was, uh, um, it's crazy. You check in, right? Like you don't know what to do with your hands, right? You look boot as hell. You got like your little one ribbon, but it's like a big day, right? Because this is like the start of your new life, right? You've got all this training. Now you're going to check in with this unit, which we heard was going to Afghanistan. So it was like, damn, the game's on. Man, I check into my unit. Um, the battalion commander in the battalion XO give us an infantry skills test. Uh, again, he apparently this is what he does. They do for all the lieutenants. It's like understood, right? Check into this battalion. Take this test. Everyone fails. At least what I was told, right? We all failed the test. And uh, I got the lowest score. And what ended up happening was within, um, you know, I ended up checking in, take that test, fail the test. Before I know it, man, I got fapped out. It's called fapped. Um, I forgot. I don't even remember what fapped means. But um, the Marine Corps decided that I was not competent enough to lead a rifle platoon. This commander of this unit decided I was not competent enough to lead a rifle platoon and sent me out to a rifle range for two months. Um, it was the worst. It was one of the worst experiences of my life. That was probably one of the second. It's funny. I got a lot of lows in my life, and a lot of the low times I've had in my life have come from like my time in the Marine Corps. Um, but that one was uh, a really low point because you know the you cannot look at what it takes to be a platoon commander in just a sense of like you know TBS and IOC, right? Like it was like four years at the Naval Academy, even trying to go to Naval Academy. Then I go through the hell at TBS, you know, for six months. Then I go through the hell at IOC in the winter. And not that I like earned the right to like lead men. Maybe I did. 
but just the sense of like, man, I went through all this shit, man. I sacrificed, you know, I hustled, you know what I mean? I just, it's fucking clawed tooth and nail to get here. And I freaking failed this, this test, man. And they sent me to a rifle range. Um, and the way they did it was just so grimy to me. You know, it was crazy because, you know, part of the, the, the officer experience is we do these things called hell and farewells. So as the new officers check into a unit, you know, we celebrate their arrival while also acknowledging the departure of the officers that have been there. And so like I check in on this Monday, Tuesday, we get issued this test. Um, yeah, Tuesday, we issued this test. I think Wednesday, I met my platoon. So like my right, my number two guy, I met my company commander, met my platoon, introduced myself, did like a PT with him. Um, Thursday, we did something else. And then I want to say like Friday, we were doing what's called a PME, which is professional military training. We went out to this battlefield to, uh, we went out to this battlefield to kind of, you know, discuss the battle. It was like Fort Fisher, I believe. Um, so we ended up, it was like two hours away from base. I was assigned to Jacksonville, North Carolina, um, Camp Lejeune. And this PME that we went to on Friday was like freaking two hours away. So I ended up going to the PME with all the officers. I didn't even have a, I had a car, but I ended up riding with someone else out there. Um, and I just remember being out at Fort Fisher, we arrived and I go into the restroom, right? And I go into the restroom and as I'm coming out, the battalion XO for the one eight was outside and he goes, Lieutenant Stedman, um, you're checking into the rifle range today. Lieutenant so-and-so is here to take you. And I was like, wait, what? Like, what's going on? You know, he's like, yeah, um, you're going to leave right now. Um, and I just remember being like, but I, do I get to say anything to anybody? Like, do I, this, is this really happening? Um, and that was like my welcome into like one eight, man. They pulled me out the restroom. Lieutenant was there, fucking took me to the rifle range and I checked in, you know, I didn't get to say goodbye. Didn't say goodbye to the other officers. I didn't, you know, anything. Um, and, uh, they just kind of shipped me away. Um, it was very, I just remember the world feeling so not unfair, but I just remember feeling like, is this really happening? You know what I mean? It's like, have you ever had a traumatic event in your life where you're just like, the world just looks phasey? You know what I mean? You don't even know what to say. You don't even know what to do. Like, you just have to just kind of take it, right? Like your whole world is spinning upside down and that's that's what happened to me. Um, And they, uh, yeah, they shipped me off to the rifle range that day. And it's funny because I left my name and number with my, you know, to give to the, the XO to like give somebody if they need to call and check on me. And they didn't, you know, I got sent out to the range and was, uh, was, was Stone Bay. I think it was called. Yeah. Stone Bay. And, uh, checked in there and I uh, was told that I was going to be like, uh, just the OIC of the rifle range, basically run people, run these Marine units through this shooting, um, shooting qualification every day fucking miserable, man. Like I checked in and I was told I was starting the next day at like 5 a.m., which means I had to get up at 4 a.m., you know, just to, to get there on time. So it was just a freaking crazy, rocky, terrible, terrible, terrible um, experience. It was a very low point in my life, man. I was living alone too. I was living out at the beach at a uh, top sail island. Um, and that almost broke me. Uh, everything up until that point, right? Like, you know, IOC, I made it, you know, all this stuff. But that experience right there literally broke me. And it was probably one of the most helpless times of my entire life because I didn't have anybody I could talk to. I was so embarrassed about it. Where could I go? 
You know, I'm just like a young black lieutenant in the Marine Corps. They basically told me I'm not qualified to lead. Um, and that was the reality that I was facing. Um, and it just fucking shot my confidence. It, it, it took, it took my confidence away. It took everything I had, you know, thought I had built up until that point. And I think too, for me being a three-time national champ from the Academy and, you know, most viable boxer and captain of my boxing team, you know, I had a lot of peers, um, you know, looking up to me. I had, you know, there were still teammates of mine at the Naval Academy who lucked up to me, who were um, very proud of, you know, what I was doing and going infantry and whatnot. And so like, I, I didn't, I couldn't let them down, right? I didn't know how to tell them how I failed, that I was not good enough to lead and all the kind of stuff I was dealing with. Um, and that's what, um, that's what this environment, like I found myself in, man, it was, it was fucking, it was the worst, you know, like I could get, I could get teary eyed just talking about it. Um, and it's even just talking about it right now. Like, um, it just brings up a lot of anger in me. Um, like I'm my freaking leg, my fucking leg is like tapping. Um, just thinking about that time in my life. And it's funny because I buried it. I don't want to say like a lot of people don't know about it. Right. Like I've, you know, there's a whole other part of my Marine Corps career to where like I thought I kind of moved past that time. So I just kind of in some forgiveness, right? Like I kind of tucked it away and put it in the back of my back of my head and try to pretend like it didn't happen. But it did happen. Um, and it's ironically what I'll tell you is that as I start to it wasn't until I got a little bit older, did some research too. Um, that this was not an uncommon trend in the Marine Corps, that they had this thing of uh, basically blacklisting black officers and tucking them away in roles like that. Turns out that uh, I was the third black officer to fill that role I did. I was the third black infantry officer to fill the role I did at the rifle range, not necessarily from the same unit, but we were all black and we were all infantry officers. And one of the reasons I knew it too is because all the officers were my frat brothers. So that's how I found out about it, you know? So again, I'm going up against this world, this A-team, where it just fucking, the black man just feels so fucking helpless. You know what I mean? And you, you when I talk about what it did to, to my confidence, man, it's just like, it's very hard. And I don't even know if I ever really got over that. And maybe that's why, you know, even as I moved past that, I still struggled. Um, but now I was coming into, now I've just basically, I, I never, I don't know if I ever recovered from that. You know, this is long. This is a long episode, man. It's a long episode. This is some deep stuff I'm talking about. Um, and I'm revisiting and I'm probably going to have to break it. I am going to break it up into another episode because, um, it's just, it's too long. It's too long to kind of get into what I'll tell you is this. Remember the Colonel who I told you? that I uh, met on the beach who was coming over to take 1-8, take over 1-8. <laughs> Guess what? Two months after I'm at the rifle range, that colonel checks into the unit. And who do you think he's looking for? The black lieutenant he met on the beach in Hawaii. And <laughs> he freaking finds out that they sent me to the rifle range. And I don't think he was happy about it. And uh, he pulled me back. And I just, I remember distinctly, right? I remember when he pulled me back and uh, I went to go see him. You know, he called me into his office and he was like, I know you're mad. I know you're pissed off. What happened to you shouldn't have happened to you. 
Um, but we're like going to get over this now. Right. But I just remember him acknowledging how mad I was like, and I was so mad. Like, I think I could have had like tears fall down my eyes. I was so mad because I sacrificed so fucking much, man. Like I, I, that shit was, uh, that shit was hard. You know what I'm saying? Like I sacrificed so much to get in that position and there was one or two things happen, right? Either one, and I'll acknowledge it. Maybe I wasn't the most, maybe I was incompetent. I wasn't ready. You know, maybe I wasn't. I don't know. But I know as I did whatever the Marine Corps told me to do, I went to TBS, I went through IOC, right? And I just felt like I, I deserved an opportunity to a, at least try, you know? And uh, I didn't get that opportunity. You know, they made me feel like less than. And they tried to break me and tell me I didn't belong. Um, and I was a new lieutenant, you know, I was only by that point I had been in the Marine Corps, um, right at less than a year, you know, I was probably like right on the cusp of it, you know, and that's, that's, that's the demons I had to take within me my first year in the Marine Corps, you know what I mean? And like, that's, that was the foundation. That was the foundation I built going into, um, that's the fun. That was my foundation as a Marine Corps officer, you know, confident shot, beat the fuck up, felt like I was less than, you know, um, and it, uh, it came out, you know what I mean? I think that's enough for today. Here's enough for today because it, uh, I got to uh, process that one because that's not the end of the story, right? We got a whole nother part two, I believe, part two or part three, because that's where we pick up off. That's how I pick up my, uh, right. That's where we pick up my rifle platoon commander experience that ultimately culminated with me in Afghanistan and, uh, getting relieved in, uh, 2000, summer of 2012, after training my platoon for a year, being in combat for six months, a lot of stuff, right? It's a lot of stuff. And I'm not going to say I'm not at fault for a lot of it, you know, I've had my leadership failures, had my leadership successes too. But I will tell you that um, we don't have a good track record of black infantry officers in the Marine Corps. I will tell you that, at least from my experience and from what I've heard and what I've told and what I've seen on paper. Um, and I think it's worth a conversation. And I think this is, uh, this is just kind of getting those, those conversations started um, and just exploring it. And again, there's, there's other stakeholders at play here, right? There's commanders and whatnot. People probably follow me on social media. And I don't want to necessarily alienate anybody. All I can just tell you is uh, this is my experience. Um, this is how I've, I view. This is, I've lived it. I've walked it, you know? Um, and I'm able to, um, to share it now. I have my platform to share and I feel comfortable sharing it, you know? Um, because if I don't talk about this stuff, um, it's like it never happened, but it did happen. It happened to me. And uh, I've had to battle past the demons, you know, the rest of my professional life, professional career, still working past them now. But this is why when I tell you all, I say, I think I'm flawed is because a lot of that, right? Because I have a paper trail that tells me I was flawed, that tells me I was not um, a performer. I wasn't a high performer. It tells me the exact opposite of what 
I'm made to feel now. So it conflicts, right? It's a weird feeling when like all the stuff that makes you successful in one arena is the same stuff that breaks you down in the other, you know? So am I like a high performer, high successful small business owner, you know? Or am I a low performer, you know, leader, you know? People praise me for leadership in the civilian world, wasn't praised for leadership in Marine Corps, um, which is very, very hard to comprehend. Um, and but as I look back and I get older, man, and it kind of goes back to what that article said is that like, yo, when you're in this environment, you don't have anybody that looks like you. You don't see anybody that looks like you. The culture is 100% uh, is a 180 from everything you've ever known. And again, I know this idea of like in the Marine Corps, we're all the same, but it's, it's just not, man. Like we have these these backdoor conversations, right? There's conversations that are happening in the barracks. There's conversations that are happening, you know, at uh, officers' houses that they could never feel comfortable having openly because it's a sense of powerlessness. Like, what's the point of having these conversations? Um, because, and not necessarily what's the point of having these conversations, but um, I just don't feel like they're given the same validity because you feel outnumbered and you feel powerless, you know? And I don't necessarily feel that way anymore. But when the Marine Corps, I'm telling you, I was, I was, I was, I felt that way. Man, that's that's enough for today. That's enough. We got deep, and this is already a long episode, man. But uh, I just want to say I appreciate you all for tuning in and uh, listening to this show. This is uh, this is uh, some hard subject material for me to go back and revisit, but I'm going to do it because you know I've got to grow. You know, and part of growth is is digging up some of those skeletons and talking about them, you know, openly and dealing dealing with it and i just appreciate you all for um listening and tuning in and to uh supporting the show you can do me a favor um be sure to subscribe and support this podcast by giving us five stars and leaving a review on itunes you know also forward this show to anyone in your network who you feel identifies with the subject matter also i want you to do me a favor and order some dope coffee at www.realdopecoffee.com Dot com. We're actually in the midst of a fundraising round. We've raised 45K of our 170K target. We're excited about this investment round, and I highly encourage all my friends and family to make an investment in us. You can invest for as little as $250. Also, be sure to check out ironboundboxing.org. Uh, if you can, leave us a donation. Every donation allows us to support free amateur boxing programs for youth and young adults in low-income communities. Boxing is wellness in these communities, and that's why we're currently providing free workouts for them, sending out these workout videos to municipalities and organizations all across the country. You know, we've got a lot of people cooped up inside that don't have access to recreation centers, that don't have access to YMCAs, and what we're doing is we're creating this content to keep them healthy and keep them active during these challenging times. You know, between our corporate clients and our free classes, we're running upwards of 15 classes uh, a week. So you can donate and support the cause at ironboundboxing.org. And also if you're part of a remote team looking for some fun employee engagement, we'd love to have host a class for you. Um, you can message me on LinkedIn. You can shoot me an email. You can also message me on LinkedIn personally or shoot me an email at mikeatweirironbound.com. And I want to give a special shout out to my, to my brother from another mother. You know, I get emotional thinking about this because um, we just, we go back so long and, and I, I realized that, man, he's been there this entire experience. And that's uh, Mike Lloyd, uh, my co-producer and CEO of Dope Coffee. Um, man, we have messages going back 10 years, messages from our time in Afghanistan and whatnot. And, uh, you know, after this article that I referenced in this episode came out, man, I called Mike, man. We talked for like two hours, man. 
And Mike just kind of gave me the courage to kind of open up and talk about some of the stuff I did on this show because um, it's just, uh, I don't know, man, it's, it's, it's embarrassing. I'm embarrassed by it. That's to be honest. I'm embarrassed by it. It brings up anger in me. Um, you know, people have this perception of me now and I feel like if I talk about some of this stuff, then it's going to bring back the old perception, um, the stuff that I've tried to move past. And, uh, that's why I've been hesitant, but you know, I gotta be bold. I've gotta be courageous and this is how you do it. And I want to thank Mike for pushing me, um, to do that and open up about this stuff on this show, man. Um, and uh, yeah, I can tell just because I went there, I'm agitated. So the uh, you can tell just by the tone in my voice is not as happy as go lucky as I usually am. But this is part of the process and this is part of growth. And I just appreciate you all for tuning in. Special shout out to Lance John from the Gifted Sounds Network for curating black voices on their on their network, man. Super dope. Be sure to check out Gifted Sounds. And uh, I guess we'll pick up part two of this discussion um, next week. So until next time, everyone, peace, love, and have a great rest of your week. I'm a free black man, hold up my head, black man. Beautiful black man, now don't that feel nice, man? I love your brother, black man, and chase your dreams, black man. And get that cream, black man, we the original man.